Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, tech fans, and welcome in to the latest Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's High Tech Studios and the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. I'm your proud host, Evan Hughes. Pleased to be joined, as always, with founder Will Stewart, managing editor Chris Coleman, Guys, our final podcast of 2018, it feels like we just got going the other day. Hard to believe that football season's almost over. Time flies when you're having fun, I guess. It's your final podcast. I'm That's not right. sure it's it's our final podcast. Well, of 2018, probably. Yes. But uh, you're going to be going for five weeks, right? It's crazy how long the winter break is. It's five weeks. You know, Virginia Tech starts a week earlier than a lot of the normal universities in the state of Virginia do. And part of the reason they do that is because they give everybody an extra week of winter break. Don't know if I agree with that. But that's their thought process. Which the ACC typically takes advantage of to schedule lots of home ACC basketball games. With no students in town. Although this year isn't bad. You know, yeah. This year it works. We're just missing Notre Dame, I think, is the marquee Is one. that the only one? Okay. I think so. Yeah. yeah. In the past, it's, well. Duke you, was you, in 2016, yeah. the tripping game with Grayson Allen in play, and then last year was yeah, uh, UVA, I believe. UVA was last year, yeah. Yeah, and Tech, well, Tech lost. It's actually, home. it actually, uh, UVA has been that way for a while. Two out of the last three years. Yeah, I thought way. it was more than yeah. once. Yeah. Well, let's just say over the next five weeks, I will miss you guys. I will be listening and watching. Oh, you'll be editing podcasts. You oh, yeah. Hosting. <laughs> We've got a great podcast coming up for everybody watching today. Here's what we have on tap. We're going to be talking Virginia Tech wrestling the Hokies with a big 24-16 win against Princeton on Friday from Castle Coliseum. Will got to experience Which his I went first to. wrestling yeah. match. We'll be talking about that. Virginia Tech with home wins against VMI and South Carolina State. Chris Coleman will be talking about that, giving us his insight. And to close the podcast today, we're going to be doing a 2018 year in review. Recapping Virginia Tech athletics, we'll be talking about some of the highs and the moments that we'll look back on from years to come as some of the signature moments in 2018. That's all coming up on the Tech Sideline podcast today. But we jump right into it. We're going to start with Virginia Tech wrestling. Hokies were 0-2 in dual meets coming in to their matchup against Princeton last Friday, who actually knocked off 8th-ranked Lehigh, maybe the biggest win in program history for Princeton. And Tony Roby's led Hokies got the job done at home. Will, as your first experience inside Castle watching a wrestling match, give us your thoughts. So, first of all, um, let's cover the fact that they lost two dual meets. Correct. Um, to number there seven. are reasons behind that. Uh, Dave, David McFadden didn't wrestle in either one of those, right? Or, or Billy Miller, their heavyweight yeah. starter who's ranked. Yeah. And were they missing someone else? Those were the main two. They were missing a starter uh, at 141. So, that was the only starter who was not in their lineup on Friday. Okay. All right. But, the, but they, you know, they were they – were, Hamstrung by missing those two guys in the first two dual meets, especially in the second one. I don't remember who it was against. I think they lost in a certain weight class that if McFadden had been there, I think they lost 20 to 16. I don't remember who it was. Correct. Two. It was against Northwestern, right. who's currently ranked 25th. And I think if, if you reverse the outcome of that one weight class, then Tech wins that, that, that dual meet. So, uh, 
so I went first first one I've ever been to um, there uh, I think they listed attendance at just under 1800 you know um, you park walk right in it's free you know and I went down and I actually sat in the third row um, so there's everybody's a little spread out so there are plenty of places to sit and it is uh, it's it's pretty cool they run out to I believe they ran out to enter Sandman of course you know and when you're sitting there in Castle, so you're sitting on the home side of Castle, what's the home side for basketball? You, you look out, and of course the mat's on the floor in front of you, and to the right is a row of chairs for Virginia Tech coaches and wrestlers, and to the left is a row of chairs for the opponent coaches and wrestlers. And they go, there are nine weight classes, is that right? Ten. Ten. Ten weight classes. So they go one at a time, and it's three periods, correct? Um, three minutes, two minutes, and two minutes, right? Um, so now, Evan, you did the um, you did the play-by-play for the ACC Network Extra. Um, were there TV timeouts involved? Because there were some breaks between weight classes that were kind of long, and those are media timeouts. There were. So in between every weight class, there's about a 90-second to two-minute break. I actually believe it's 75-second break. Yeah. Um, so there, aren't, there isn't a lot of downtime, you know, and if you've never watched wrestling, wrestling is, uh, I had a son who wrestled when he was young, and um, th- the thing I, I like about wrestling, it, it makes it hard for the moms to watch, wrestling is brutal, I mean, it is, it is man on man, if you lose, you can't blame it on anybody else, can't blame it on the coach, can't blame it on your teammates, maybe there are instances where you could sort of blame it on the officials, but you know, it's, it's you and that other guy. And it's, it's a lot of fun to watch that. And I remember watching my son wrestle. There, there were three types of matches he would have. He would have the matches where he would dominate the other guy. He would have the matches where he would get dominated. And then the ones in between where it was a pretty good matchup, those are the ones that, that really pull you in and are a lot of fun to watch. And watching a team wrestling event where you have 10 weight classes, you experience the same thing. There were, there were a couple of guys for Tech that just got manhandled. And there were a couple instances, uh, and you can help fill in the. I, I've told people before when I go see a live sporting event, it's kind. Of, I, I walk away with impressions and things. I don't remember details like I used to. I do remember that BC Laprade is that how you pronounce his last name? BC Laprade. Laprade. BC's match was that was the one that went into extra time, right? Went into sudden. It went into overtime, and yeah. it was a real turning point because there were two weight classes against Princeton that were toss ups going into it. One fifty seven being one of them, and. Uh, the freshman wrestler Quincy Monday from Princeton led the entire match, and then BC got a takedown in the third period, went to overtime. I believe five four was the final score, yeah. and that was a big momentum shift for Virginia Tech. And for those that are listening and you know know how Virginia Tech is a perennial top ten team, it's the back half of their lineup in years past, especially this year that the is so good. Classes, right? yeah, yeah, so from about from Makai Lewis all the way to heavyweight. Uh, I believe it's 165 to heavyweight. All of Virginia Tech's wrestlers, they're all ranked in the top 25 of Intermat. Yeah. So for them to get that win in 157 to lead into Makai Lewis, that was really big for them on on Friday. Yeah, so uh, and, and, and again, when we talk about wrestling on the TSL podcast, it's not for the hardcore fans. I'm not going to get into all kinds of details and things like that because I don't know a lot about wrestling. I tailor it to to a person who maybe doesn't go see wrestling or doesn't know anything about wrestling so again you don't really need to know what you're looking at because there are a lot of people there that do and you'll feed off the crowd you'll get it and and you can pick it up pretty quickly so here are the things i took away from it and you correct me where i'm wrong if you if you get a takedown that's two points 
So the wrestlers can start at neutral facing each other. If you take a guy down, you get two points. And by the way, each wrestler wears one guy's got a like got a green thing around his ankle, the other one's got a red thing around his ankle. And the official will hold up, he's got the same thing on his wrists. So if the green wrestler scores two points, he'll hold up two points with the with the wrist with the green strap around it. So that's how you can follow what's going on. Plus it's up there on the castle scoreboard. Um, if you get a takedown, it's two points. If a guy has you down and you get up and you escape from that, you get a point. And I think from watching wrestling when we were kids, we talked about people getting pinned. That's not how they refer to it in wrestling terminology. It's called a fall, correct? Yes. So clearly when you pin a guy, when you get a fall, um, he's out, it's done, the, the match is over. That's a knockout. Um, but there are situations where you can get a near fall get a guy on his back and almost get his shoulders on the mat. And then that becomes a judgment call by the official. Does he want to give you points for a near fall? Does he want to give you two points for a near fall or four points for a near fall? So you can kind of watch the scoring as it goes along. And there's a thing that's added in called riding time. So if you got a guy on the mat and you're on top of him and you're controlling him, there's a timer on the scoreboard that counts up riding time. If he flips it on you, then the riding time starts to count down. And you get, as a wrestler, you get points for riding time, correct? You, you get one point if you go over a minute. Okay. But do you get two points for going over two minutes? Okay. So it's pretty easy to follow, and, and it's a lot of fun. It's not fun when your guy's getting dominated. You know, you pretty much know how it's going to end up. But to get back to the uh, to, to the La, La Prade? La Prade. La Prade. To get back, back to the La Prade match, he was down, I believe, three to two. For a long time, he got a takedown that put him up 4-3, and that was late. Wasn't that yes. with like 20 seconds left to go? And then Monday got a quick escape to yeah, tie it at so, four. So Castle is 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 getting really excited because he's, after being down the whole time with 20 seconds left to go in the third period, he's gotten a takedown and gone up 4-3. But like five to ten seconds later, the Princeton wrestler escaped, and that tied it at four. And then it went into a minute-long period. Then it went into a 30-second period. Then it went into a 30-second period, and neither guy scored until, I think, that third period. Correct. Yeah. Yep. So it was, it was highly entertaining. I mean, for Princeton, they had the number one wrestler, uh, Matthew Kolodzik, at the 141 weight class in the country. So that's what's wow. really neat is that every weight class, you have rankings of, of individual rankings. So you could be on one of a, of, a, of a weaker team, but you could still be the number one wrestler in the nation. That's what's cool is you can have the individual champions and the team championships. So big win for Tech. Now the thing is, everybody who got to have their first taste of wrestling this year, you got to wait about a month and a week until their next home match. So let's get into that. They have, they have, is it three more home matches the rest of the year? Three more plus the ACC wrestling. Oh, I, I think they have about five or six left. There's a lot in February. Yeah. So, so Evan's going to look it up on the computer. I know that they wrestle Pitt, and so the, like the, the team's not home again until late January. What is it? So the Hokies are going to be home next on January 25th, a Friday against Pittsburgh at seven. And then in North Carolina, uh, in uh, excuse me, in February is where it really starts to pick up. February fifteenth, home against Cornell. That's their biggest non-conference matchup left. The next day is the Moss Art Center match against UVA, and then the following Friday is home against North Carolina State. So, and that and that that meet with North Carolina State may decide the dual meet championship. Correct. And then, as you said, March 9th is the all-day ACC championship. Yeah. So. A lot of opportunities, and we are going to be encouraging you on Tech Sideline to come see wrestling. Um, whether you're coming to a basketball game or not, or there's other stuff going on or not, um, particularly if you're local, 
just make it a point to come in and watch. So one of the things from the a couple of things I remember from from this was um, you will you will wind up when when you watch ten weight classes wrestle, you'll wind up seeing two or three or four times wrestlers in a situation where they're facing each other and one of the wrestlers has the other guy's ankle and he's and they're standing up and he's got this guy's ankle jacked way up in the air you know i saw that two or three times and i remember at one point and i don't remember who did i don't remember which tex wrestlers did this but i'm watching and it becomes this thing of when you got that other guy's ankle way in the air you he's, you kind of got him at his you have you have him at your mercy but it's trickier than you would think taking him down and a kid behind me said sweep the leg and the tech wrestler took the leg he was one of the legs he was standing on and just kicked out and kicked the guy's leg up under he got a takedown and i did hear i had some kids behind me who wrestled i don't know if it's some local wrestling club or high school or what i didn't recognize the name and they're 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 calling out the names of moves that you can make like the wrestlers would be on the floor in a certain position and some kid would say well he ought to try a such and such you know and then you'd hear tony roby yell at him to do the same thing so it's kind of cool you can pick stuff up and it's it's neat sitting next to people that, that know the sport so i think the next step is we got to get chris coleman out to a wrestling match maybe the uh, moss art center one that's their big what one is that? that's february uh february 16th so listen those tickets are still on sale and it's a great time to come out and watch Virginia Tech wrestling. They're going to continue to have a great year. They've had a lot of guys competing on the international stage, as we well know, with Makai Lewis. David McFadden just competed uh, a couple of weeks ago on an international stage. So exciting time for Virginia Tech wrestling, and we're going to keep it all covered here on Tech Sideline throughout the year. And speaking of Chris Coleman, I know you've been awfully quiet over there. How are you doing? And uh, officially welcome aboard to the podcast. Thanks. I've been doing well. Um, just Got myself dug out of the snow, so we're all good. And speaking of the snow, Blacksburg got about a foot of snow. Campus was only a uh, morning delay, so wow. you know, congratulations and to everybody. You know, the snow, everybody working on campus to get everything ready didn't really throw off the exam schedule that well. Mm-hmm. But just because there was snow did not mean there was not hokey basketball on Sunday against South Carolina State. I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about the VMI win earlier in the week last week, actually a week ago from today. Last two wins, non-conference wins for Virginia Tech, not really close games. But talking about Virginia Tech basketball a week later than we did last week, what have you seen from the Hokies? Well, in the second half against VMI, honestly, they look bored. And uh, I think a lot of teams like that get bored this time of year. If you're a really good team and you're playing a lower-level team like a VMI. Weren't they up 35 at one point? They, they were VMI up, closed it to 20, I think, for the final, they, something like that. Yeah, it was. they cut it to under 20 yeah. at one point. Uh, and Tech just didn't play well down the stretch. Um, but they played much, much better this past week against South Carolina State. The halftime score did not indicate that they played better because they had an awful shooting first half. But that was really the first bad half of shooting they've had all season. They executed well on both ends of the floor as far as running their stuff and getting open shots and everything. They just didn't shoot well, but they shot really well in the second half and made up for it and easily won that game. So we got three non-conference games left. We've got Washington and Atlantic City this weekend. And that has a chance to be a top 50 win for Virginia Tech at the end of the year. Washington is a good team. They lost to Gonzaga by one. They run the 2-3 Syracuse zone. Virginia Tech, Tech torched Washington last year 103-79. to But that was maybe Washington's 
fourth or fifth game of the season. If yeah, that, they started playing a lot better. Yeah, they started playing a lot better after that as they as they got used to how to how to run that zone and everything. So uh, this is going to be a much more competitive game, and it would give Virginia Tech a chance to get two top fifty wins in the non conference portion of their schedule. They didn't have any top fifty wins or, or quadrant one wins. I, I guess is what, what, should, what is what we should call them now. That we, would be a quadrant one win. Yes. We would not. Uh, we didn't have any quadrant one wins going into the ACC portion of the schedule last year, which is one of the reasons Tech was in the eight nine game again in the NCAA tournament. But they're, so they've already got a better resume in their non conference schedule than they did last year with the win over Purdue. But they've got a chance to get even better if they can beat Washington on a neutral court. And speaking of the new system in the NCAA, I think it's still catching on to people and understanding that the RPI is no longer what the the selection committee uses and actually you know shout out to the great Bill Roth and his intro to sports media class last year we actually have for one of our assignments um, we had to look at and predict uh, the winners of the tournament like fill out a bracket but we had to use metrics behind our picks part of the sports media and analytics part of the program as well and Looking at quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, you know, they really look at, you know, are you winning at home, the margins? It's just very different than the RPI. Yeah, it's very different, and it's not schedule-driven. You know, it is to a certain extent, but they're using offensive and defensive efficiency ratings, uh, so stuff that I think is going to be beneficial for Virginia Tech long-term. Uh, I, th- I think it doesn't help, help Seth Greenberg any. It doesn't help <laughs> Seth Greenberg any or, or, or any of those Virginia Tech teams from that era, but uh, – it will help Virginia Tech going forward, I believe. Um, it might have helped them in their seeding, quite honestly, uh, maybe the last couple of years. Who really knows? Uh, I, I do think that you know we've talked about the money situation at Virginia Tech on this podcast before, Virginia Tech being in the bottom third of Power 5 teams in revenue. So I, I think Virginia Tech has a limited pool of money to work with when they schedule buy games for Castle Coliseum, and they can't outbid some other schools for – certain opponents so they're they're forced to play more south carolina states than, than than other schools and maryland eastern shores right 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 and and that situation is out of virginia tech's control like buzz williams can't help how much money virginia tech has right so uh i think this new system helps out schools or has a potential to help out schools like virginia tech if you're really good at basketball it shouldn't matter whether you schedule the number 350 team or the number 250 team uh you shouldn't be rewarded for playing a Division two team in place of a lower-ranked Division one team like the RPI used to, re- re- used to do. Um, well, in reality, you're talking about 250 to 350. They're likely to be quadrant three wins anyways. Right, right, right you know, uh, under the new system. So uh, I just think it's, it's much, much better for college basketball, and I think it, it helps Virginia Tech, quite frankly. Yeah. Speaking of basketball and how Virginia Tech, in a lot of ways, They've been winning games this year has been the play of Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And I feel like each time we continue to do this podcast, he continues to take step forwards that we're seeing from freshman year to sophomore year. Nikhil Alexander-Walker, 19 points against South Carolina State. When you look at this team about a month and a half in, is it fair to say that he has become Tech's number one scorer? I don't – maybe. Um I think it was certainly that way the first three or four games of the season. Certainly it was that way down in Charleston. But I think this team has enough weapons where, you know, it could be Justin Robinson one night, it could be Nikhil Alexander-Walker one night. Even some nights it's going to be Ahmed Hill if he has one of his own nights. Uh, maybe even every now and then it could even be Kerry Blackshear. So that's a good thing about this lineup is really anybody they put on the court with the exception of Beattie 
can score in double figures on any given night. Uh, they're a very difficult team to guard from that standpoint. I think Alexander Walker is the he's the he's the NBA prospect out of all of them. He's the one guy out of all of them will play in the NBA. Would you say that he's the guy that is uh, probably the best at at the one-on-one type moves, the driving to the basket type moves. I mean, I know, I know Justin Robinson does a lot of that. Justin's kind of a Justin doesn't does it really out of quickness. I think I think there's a little more creati- creativity to Alexander Walker's game. Um, uh, if he when he plays in the NBA one day, he's gonna ha- you'll be able to see it as the spacing is is there. Uh, there's there'll be even more spacing in the NBA game. Um, so yeah, I think there's more. Well, there's more NBA to his game, quite frankly, if you want He's to put it that He's got a knack way. for finding, when he goes into traffic, finding that one open, for lack of a better word, cylinder, vertical cylinder, where if he goes up in that cylinder and gets the ball off in that cylinder, it's going to get off clean. Yeah. You know? and, I, and I think, you know, talking about freshman to sophomore and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, too, it's going to be interesting to see how he does in ACC play year two, the best yeah. basketball conference in the country. You know, he did fine last year, but will he be continue to be this top scorer like he is right now in well, ACC play? Yeah. I, I thought what's more important to me is that, that I thought one of the things he did towards the end of last year, and you saw him do this at UVA, and then another example that, that I'm not remembering, he showed a willingness at the end of the year to take and make the big shot. The Duke game where he missed and Chris Clark rebounded and put it in was, was actually, uh, I can't find the term I'm looking for, uh, uh, a surprise to me that he didn't make the shot. Um, I think he's turned himself into that kind of player that I don't want to call him a uh, Seth Allen type player. Seth really wanted the ball, you know, and I th- but I think Alexander's getting there. You won't get to see the full fruition of it because he won't be here four years. Um, no, this is going to be his last year most yeah, likely. you know, um, so but he's definitely stepped up into being that guy who doesn't mind taking that late shot, and he makes it too. And I look at a last-second shot he had against UVA last year on the road. Remember right before halftime, he had a really tough shot on yeah. the right wing, a buzzer beater that gave Tech a lot of momentum. Mm-hmm. So you're right, he's had a couple of clutch moments in just a year. And to your point as well, this is likely going to be his last year. Is that yeah. fair? Oh, yeah. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if he's projected as a first-round pick, that's a guaranteed contract. And so you need to take that because the likelihood of you improving your draft stock after your sophomore year in basketball is, is just not very common because your next wave of top five players who go to Duke and will come in and be lottery guys, picks ne- yeah. next year. You know, so uh, so it's just the basketball draft is a totally different animal than the NFL draft. And he has the chance to become the first tech basketball player taken in the first round since Del Curry. Is that right? Uh, or was it was Bimbo first round pick? Good question. You have a computer, Evan. <laughs> Evan is going to look it up on the computer. But at any rate, it's just been nice, to, and I think to, to kind of put a bow on this conversation, you're right. On any given night, Virginia Tech has scores that could step up and be the leading score, and I think that's what fits Buzz Williams' system so well is that it's the, uh, I forget the acronym that he has, but our kind of guys. OKG. OKGs. And that's that's his system. He doesn't want to have one guy who can score all the points every night, and if it's not working, they're, oh, they're going to Oh, if you win. only have one guy who can score and he has an off night, you're going to lose. I mean, you're right. Just about every starter they have, and we're forgetting about Ty Outlaw here. I think Outlaw is going to be poised for a big second half. I mean, down the stretch in that 16-17 season, he, in my opinion, was their best three-point shooter. No doubt. And he was on fire going into the NCAA tournament. Yeah. There was a two- or three-game stretch where – I forget the exact numbers, but it was it was unworldly the the the, the rate he was making three well, pointers. He, he made eight against Miami, right? Yeah, did he make like 
made like 60% of his three-pointers. It was something like there was one half of basketball where he had like 19 points and made six three-pointers in one half or (laughs) something. I thought that might have been his first or second game as a starter after Chris Clark got hurt or something like that. I mean, it was just unbelievable numbers. Um, And he's a a top-class shooter. I mean, he's as good a three-point shooter as you can get as far as long as he's – when he gets the ball in his hands, when he's passed the ball, if he's facing the basket and he's squared up, you're really not going to find any better three-point shooters than him. Yeah, and and Buzz had a uh, was it was a Buzz that said that Ahmed Hill and Ty Outlaw are kind of the canary in the coal mine for how the yeah. offense is running. Um, it's important for a guy like Ty Outlaw. He's not he's not a dribble drive guy. Um, the ball they have to be moving the ball well. They have to be sharing the ball. And if you're seeing Outlaw and Hill get open shots, then that's a sign that the offense is running the way it's supposed to. And you know, first half against South Carolina State, uh, I agree with what Chris said earlier. I had no problem with the way Tech was playing basketball. They just weren't making their shots, you know. And then in the second half, they started making their shots. So there's, so there's things to watch when you're watching a, a Buzz Williams coach team. We've gone over some of them. Um, they are probably going to lose the rebounding battle against bigger, better teams. But as we pointed out, then turn your attention to the turnover battle. Are they winning the turnover battle by enough to offset? the the imbalance in possessions by losing the rebounding battle um how many of their baskets are they assisting on um is the ball getting into the paint to carry blackshear who then finds the open shooters you know it's not just passing around the perimeter it's got to go in a little bit and then come back out um i don't think and you know chris you can give me your opinion on this the the ability to drive to the basket isn't a big part of of buzz's offense i don't think I thought Seth Greenberg's offense with Jamon Gordon and, and Zabian Dowdell, particularly playing Duke, break down that defense and get to the rim. Well, it's about paint touches. So whether that's throwing it to Kerry Blackshear in the paint or Justin Robinson driving it into the paint, I think it doesn't really matter as long as you get paint touches because I forget the exact stat, but you're three or four times as more likely to score if the ball touches the paint at some point during the possession than opposed to if you're – passing it around the three-point line the whole time like Virginia Tech used to do when, when Greenberg was coaching. And you're right about Blackshear. I go back to the Central Connecticut State game. Blackshear Five had, assists. A, he had the first eight of ten points in that game, so they started guarding him more heavily, and then he would just outlet from about the free throw line yeah. and had a lot of assists in the first half. So if Blackshear, to me, if he can get, if he can get uh, his scoring done early and they put a bigger emphasis on him defensively, then that really opens him up as a passer in the, in the paint. Yeah, and you know he'll be big against Washington, or or if he gets in foul trouble, then PJ Horn will be big against Washington, because Virginia Tech will need to get the ball in the high post against Washington and work from there zone, against that yeah. zone and work from there. And Blackshear, you know, he's not a very athletic guy at all because I guess partly because of his foot issue, but he's a really skilled player. He can shoot and he can pass. So he's he's the type of big man you want. Uh, when you're facing a team like that, and when and when you want ball movement from your bigs, uh, I think he's got a pretty good basketball IQ when it comes to the sharing the basketball in the passing game and everything like that. Quick side note: Bimbo Cole's second round pick, 40th overall okay. in the NBA draft, 12, 13 years, something like that. He yeah. had a, he had a long career. He did. He was on the uh, I didn't realize he was on the '88 uh, Olympic team. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. So, all right, let's let's wrap up basketball with this discussion because here's what we've got left on the Tech Sideline Podcast. For those watching on Facebook, don't forget to begin to start dropping your favorite 2018 Virginia Tech Athletics Moments of the Year. We'll be getting to that in just a moment. 
we're we're essentially done with the non-conference slate of games here for men's basketball. Washington, then we open uh, the Virginia Tech opens up with Notre Dame on January first. And a couple Day. of uh, smaller conference teams between those. Maryland, yeah, Maryland Eastern, Shore. Eastern Shore comes in. Uh, I can't see our uh, um, calendar from here. So it, it, if you had to give a non-conference grade for Virginia Tech here this season, of course the one hiccup coming a one-point road loss to Penn State. Give me a grade, Professor Coleman and Professor Stewart. Professor Stewart will go first. Um, uh, it's, it's, let's see, if they beat in Penn State, it would be an A+. Plus. So since they lost to Penn State, should it be an A or an A-? minus? Um, I just, I, and I said this on our message boards, I hate losing to Penn State in basketball. Just, I, I don't want to be so insulting as to say that they're a trash basketball program because they're not. You know, it's not like they're. They could be an NCAA tournament team. It's like not this like they're year. entertaining recruits with strippers or anything like that. You know, it's just. But they're a historically bad program, is what you're saying. Well, the, the, a, a historically not good program that nobody's the least bit interested. It, in. it would have been like another. It would be like Virginia fans feel when they lose to Virginia Tech in basketball before Buzz Williams got got to Tech. Honestly, yeah, or quite before frankly, Seth got or here, before yeah. Seth, yeah, you know, it's just, just a historically not a good program at all. You know, you, they, you, so you go up there and you play them at the Bryce Jordan Center, and there's just nobody there. You know, it's just a tra- – calling them a trash program isn't accurate. Calling them a nothing program is more accurate. So anytime you see a guy, a coach go up there and win at Penn State, he's a pretty good coach because they're just kind of a nothing program. So I hate losing to them. Well, and they're a football school. I mean, that's what their fans are all about. That's what their donors are all about. Well, it's, it's not just that they're a football school. Tech's a football school, but they're still good at basketball. Yeah. Very they true. They still put people in Castle Coliseum for the most part and things like that. And, and Penn State and fans support basically everything except right. basketball. Yeah, they've got their hockey program up there that yeah. they support. Wrestling. Yeah, yeah. You know, wrestling. Of course. Course. Yeah. Excellent. So, uh, and they've got that beautiful arena where they can have concerts in and things like that. But, my gosh, what a waste of money if you can't get anybody to go to it to a basketball game. Yeah, it's, you know? it's, well, and if they make the NCAA tournament this year, which they very well could, and they won the NIT a year ago. I don't, I s- I don't think they're very good. The, the, the loss just galls me. So uh, you get, you get I, think, I think they're tech. tough and they're physical, and they <laughs> will pull some upsets for sure. Um, but I think that player they lost to the NBA last year got them over over the hump. And by the way, that's um, a that's a quadrant one game against Penn State, correct? Uh, it depends upon how they end up. It depends upon how they okay. end up. It was, it was on the road at top seventy five. It depends on whether they stay in the top seventy five. Yeah, so quadrant one and um, a true road game is is that a top seventy five? So Hokie fans will be pulling for the Nittany Lions to, to perform well. Top seventy five, I guess. Um, but, but you know, <laughs> so I'm I'm just that loss galls me so much that I, I want to give the Hokies an A minus on their on their okay. So far, I, I would agree with that grade. Um, Buzz said it on Tech Talk Live on Monday night. He said he base he pretty much said I hate it that we lost to a Penn State team that will. That I think I might freeze it. That I think might struggle in the Big Ten or something he, like that. Yeah, I, I'm surprised I, yeah, he said that. He I was, was kind of surprised yeah. he said that too. Because Penn State, they do. I appreciate their attributes. That they they're they were a physical team and they're a tough-minded team. And they took Virginia Tech out of their game, so give them credit. But they're not very talented. And if Virginia Tech's on their A game, they could have won that game by 15 points. Well, or, Tech didn't move the ball. Yeah, well, Tech, the, the ball movement was poor and everything. That, that's like probably that. going to be Virginia Tech's worst game of the year. Well, let's hope. It, yeah, right. It, it, when you look at it after. Because that's the one game where they just weren't themselves. Right. Uh, unless they go into ACC play and lose to, like, Wake Forest or somebody like that, that will that will be the only so – that will be their worst game of the year probably. Well, let's not beat them up for the one game they lost. Uh, the right. tournament that they won, that was outstanding. You know, they – I did not have high hopes for that tournament going in, and, and they went in there and they played really well and, and won that thing. And that's uh, – 
Um, that's a great accomplishment, I think, for Virginia Tech basketball. It is. I mean, whenever you can go home with a trophy, uh, I think it says something. In, in an eight-team tournament. In an eight-team tournament. And you know, it wasn't like ten years ago when Virginia Tech went up there and won a four-team tournament where they had to beat, I don't know, Hofstra and then a St. John's program that was that down at the time and was still down probably. But uh, they had to they had to beat a team that was uh, picked to win their league. Ball State is considered maybe an NIT team this year. And then obviously Purdue. Uh, has been in the top 25, and they're going to be a uh, quadrant one win for Virginia Tech. So and, that was a big deal. And I think Ball State on – and if they had this team in in previous years, they could win the MAC. But Buffalo right now, ranked yeah. inside the yeah. top 25, that is a really, really good Buffalo team. So, so here's what we're going to do. We just wrapped up our Virginia Tech basketball talk. We're going to take a quick break because the Tech Sideline podcast is proudly presented each and every week by the Fisher Law Firm. When we come back, we're going to put a bow on 2018. We're going to talk about some of the highs for tech sideline, moving office spaces, and many of the great successes that TSL had. And we'll take a look back at Virginia Tech Athletics in 2018. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Tech Sideline Podcast, proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm. If you have received a DUI or other traffic-related offense, the road ahead can seem uncertain. Your official law firm, we have a team that is with you every step of the way. We have the experience that comes along with having defended more than 30,000 criminal and traffic cases statewide and the expertise to get the job done. Call anytime, day or evening, for your free consultation or a complimentary copy of my book. Don't forget to ask us about our free appeal guarantee. To learn how we can help solve your problem, check us out at FisherLegal.com. This is Jonathan Fisher, Class of 98. Let's go Hokies. Our thanks to the Fisher Law Firm for being proud partners of the Tech Sideline podcast. They've defended more than 30,000 people charged with moving violations. Again, for a free consultation, call them anytime, 1-800-680-7031. Again, the number, 1-800-680-7031. So here we are in December. I mean, doesn't it feel like it was just yesterday that Virginia Tech was getting ready to take on Oklahoma State down in Florida? And here we are. It just... I feel like the older I get, I feel like the quicker years move by. And 2018 has flown by. It is very true that as you get older, the years move by faster. And then as you start having kids and a family and all that stuff, the worst part is you start not remembering things. Um, you know, so uh, imagine time accelerating and then not being able to remember what happened or what you watched on Netflix last night. It's, it's, it's a disaster. So let's talk about... I want to kind of run through a timeline, almost a Virginia Tech athletics this year, talk about some of the highs. And before we do that, though, if you guys just look back, I mean, what stands out to you most about 2018? Well, from a Virginia Tech perspective, uh, making the NSA tournament for the second year in a row for, for me is what stood out from a positive standpoint. Um, I think having both uh, soccer programs in the Sweet 16 this year was, was a big deal. Uh, I, I think... I mean, I think for your smaller sports, it was a very good year at Virginia Tech on the whole. For uh, for men's basketball, it was a very good year for Virginia Tech on the whole. Uh, I'm not going to look back overall in 2018 with any sort of fondness, though, because the one thing most people pay attention to was football, and quite frankly, they had a terrible off season and an average season. So it was just not a good year from that perspective, and that's what drives the bus. Uh, so, so during the break, I was thinking of things, and yep, NCAA tournament for a second time in a row, and the opening of the baseball stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 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 very cool, and and uh, I, I say every year I'm going to go see some baseball games, and every year I don't, but 
I found out that a friend of mine has one of the boxes at the baseball stadium. So that means I can, we can go see games in March and April and, you know, sit in a comfortable environment while we're watching baseball. Um, what else? Uh, yeah, the, the offseason of football was not fun. Um, for me, I, I traveled to a lot of road games this year in football, which I'd never really done before. And that wore me out, by the way. Um, but it was worth it. And I think the trip to Florida State was uh, – the, the actual game for me was was a lot of fun um, and being in being in UNC's football stadium when they once again failed to uh, to uh, beat Virginia Tech and you know so just going to the road games I, I enjoyed that so I want to kind of take it month by month and so going back to January I think I'm, and I'm going off the positives here I look back at Virginia Tech's win against North Carolina in men's basketball at home at Castle Coliseum that was a big deal big win Students rush the floor. Uh, that was a big moment. Anytime you can beat UNC at home, I feel like that was a stepping stone for the season. What were they ranked at the time? I believe UNC was ranked 12th. Okay. I believe that's right. And they were up too, right? They were, and it was a, it was a late come-from-behind win. I, I think Devin Wilson had a really nice second half for Virginia Tech, actually, off the bench at the time. And uh, that, was a, that was another marquee win for the Hokies. That was one of three wins, three top 12 wins. For Virginia Tech last year, I believe, and um, the, and Joel Berry was hot, hot in the first half. Yeah, I think that's right. And Luke yeah. May down low, and the Hokies just very scrappy, and they found a way to knock off the Tar Heels. I think everybody will think about the Duke game, and we'll get there in just a minute. But also the North Carolina game. I mean, you're knocking off the Tar Heels and the Blue Devils at home. That's a that's a heck of a uh, ACC conference schedule at home. They're able to get two wins like that. Yeah, and from my personal perspective on North Carolina, uh, that was probably my favorite game of the season outside of winning at UVA uh, beating North Carolina in basketball uh, was one of my highlights of the basketball season just because it's UNC yeah and I had a a lot of fear and respect for Luke May as a player you know so to be able to I I thought that was a really bad matchup for Tech and so to win that one was uh, that was pretty satisfying and then we go into February and I think the moment that really everybody will stand out. I'll, I actually remember the day. I think it was February 25th or uh, excuse me, the 26th. Hokies knock off Duke. I mean, it's uh, you've got. Oh, you're skipping over the UVA game on the road. You are right. Yeah. That's I had that written down, and I, I got excited because we was, talked was, about was North that Carolina. In January or February? That that was, should have been in. Uh, uh, that should have been in February because. UVA blew out Tech in January in Castle by like 25 no, points. Correct. That wasn't close. So yeah. that was uh, – and that was not too big a difference between that UVA game. And so you're talking again about North Carolina ranked 12th, Virginia ranked in the top 25, I believe in the top 10. Virginia was getting ready to be number one. That's that's correct, yes. yes. And if, they were – If they had beaten Tech – and they wound up being ranked number one anyway through perturbations yes. that the polls go through. But, but that was the setup that Tech was playing at UVA – if UVA wins, they're going to be number one in the country. And um, I remember a couple things about that game. I remember Kyle Guy went something like 5 of 24. Mm-hmm. That dude chose to have an off game, uh, you know, at a, and, and that's kind of how you have to beat UVA is they have to have a really, really bad game shooting. Um, that was UVA's only ACC loss of the year. They went 17-1 and one, and then won the ACC tournament. I think as a program, they went 31-3 and three last year. I think they lost one earlier in the year. They lost that one to Tech, and then, of course, they lost the, uh, the NCAA tournament game. Um, what does Virginia Tech and UNBC have in common? <laughs> yeah, but that, that was just a, that was a phenomenal game. But, but you look at that UVA game. I mean, Kerry Blackshear at the end. I mean, I remember 
the shot going up, and you're thinking that it's over, and then the putback. Yeah. I mean, he was at the right place at the right time, and really you think, and when I look back at the overtime in that game, I really felt like I mean, that was UVA's game. I mean, Tech just kind of snuck out of there at the right, just at the right time it happened. I don't know. The numbers don't back this up, but I would think that most home teams win overtime games. Uh, I mean, I know in football uh, the general rule is you play for overtime at home, but if you're on the road, you play for the win. You don't want to go to overtime. Uh, that, that's the general rule. So I, I would assume it's it's the same way in basketball. So which you're right, it makes that win even more improbable. And it was it was coming from behind. I look back to I mean, Nikhil Alexander Walker had this ridiculous shot at the buzzer mm-hmm. to end the first half. I mean, there were so many things that went right for Virginia Tech. And and personally, if you want to know what the loudest point of the first floor of Miles Hall was in 2018, it was that game. You lived in Miles. I did live in Miles, yeah. yeah. I I lived in Miles my freshman year. And there we go. So uh, that was a big one. And then then Duke. I mean, I just remember, you know, warming up and you're looking at (laughs) – I mean, Marvin Bagley, and you're looking at Wendell all, Carter Jr. Who's, I mean, both are top ten picks. And you know what the thing that really gets to me, when you look back at that Duke win, I mean, we can get to the last second tipping in a minute, but and Grayson Allen, can't forget him, was the fact that for the majority of the game, Devin Wilson was guarding Marvin Bagley. Yeah. Devin Wilson is a guard against a top ten pick of Marvin Bagley, Mm -hmm. who was maybe the most dominating player at times. I mean, who else for Tech's going to guard him, though? I, I mean, honestly, if you think about it, who else for Tech would have guarded? What did you? Put well, because you had to put Blackshear on on Wendell, Wendell Carter because right. he's taller. And, you don't and have they, a power forward, and so I mean, and Devin Wilson did his. I believe See, now you make me want to go back and watch it. I got it on DVR, and you make me want to go back and watch. I it. mean, that was that was incredible. And then you know, just to think about Grayson Allen and Coach K there, and then you know, I, I think about that game too. Buzz Williams getting on the mic and telling the, the student section to quit cussing. I mean, who I forgot about that? Uh, <laughs> so I that mean, that game, huh? so many <laughs> moments in that game, and for Chris Clark, I mean, just the tipping at the right time at the right place, and then. Not knowing if Bagley got that tip in on the other end of time, Sean McDonough's well, on the I, call. I know, I knew live that Bagley didn't get it in in time. So what I remember about that that game is, you know, there was a school of thought last year that Duke was a better team when Bagley wasn't on the floor, a better team. So Duke had some weaknesses going in. So I'm not really surprised that Virginia Tech won that game. I was pleased. Now Tech got down a lot early. And I remember there was a moment late in the first half where I thought, you know, if they're going to start coming back, they need to do it now, and they gradually did it. Um, and the other thing, I've, I've watched that last shot probably 30 to 40 times on DVR because I just started up and I just hit the skip back 10 seconds button. And one of the neat things about that last shot is how quiet Castle is until that tip-in goes in. And then it's just Wow! Just immediately, and it reminds me of of the noise that was made when Travis Jackson hit a three pointer to uh, send Tech to the uh, uh, to Madison Square Garden in the 1995 NIT. They were playing in, in in the quarterfinals at home, and the same thing. Castle was crammed full, quiet, and then when Travis Jackson's shot went in, just that immediate from from zero to a hundred noise level it was very cool. Have you seen the uh, final tip in with the Titanic music of Chris Clark? That's a great edit. Oh, I mean, after every dramatic Virginia Tech game, one of the first things you do is is wait for the Titanic soundtrack. And you don't get it's not you don't get old. Out. I mean, it's actually it doesn't get old. First at one all. of those I ever saw was Seth Allen beating UVA in yeah. in, uh, mm-hmm. in Castle Coliseum, and 
And the, the way that broadcast went, it was particularly perfect for the Titanic music, you know. Absolutely. Because as, as, as they, that little bit they play as Celine Dion is winding down at the end, they cut to the crowd and show the fans, the, the students spilling over the wall. So it went really well with the music. So that was a, that, that was a big one in February. We talked about the UVA win. So, I mean, you look at the month of February. On the road against then or about to be number one UVA, then at home against Duke. By the way, that's back-to-back home wins against Duke for Virginia Tech. They knocked them off on New Year's Eve in 2016. That was the game that Grayson Allen was suspended one game for for tripping. Mm, so right. to beat Duke, to beat UVA, I mean, everyone's on a high at February. I, I look back at 2018, that was one of the best months, I think, for any sport. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it was also – combined together with some rather poor moments where Virginia Tech played no defense at all and Buzz Williams had to change his defensive scheme in the middle of February. So that's what I'll remember about February more so than the... Wilson than coming in from Ed the, Hill in the starting lineup. Correct. Uh, you don't, it's not often you see a complete strategic tactical, tactical change like that in the middle of the season and actually have it work. Um, yeah, weren't they giving up a lot of perimeter shots and things like that and just... Um, you know, we, oh, we yeah, all know yeah. Buzz is a good offensive coach, but he showed that he's a good defensive coach. Yeah, right? yeah, right, exactly. Um, he he, uh, he, did, he had a lot of guys on that team that weren't naturally good at defense, so he started playing Devin Wilson more, who it was naturally good at defense, and uh, was able to just craft a plan that made them more effective on, on that end of the court, uh, which is tough to do in the middle of the season. It's not quite this dramatic, but imagine Bud Foster changing to a, a 3-4 defense in the middle of the season. You can't do it. Yeah. You need a spring practice to do it. It's not quite that dramatic in basketball, but it's it's somewhat similar. So March, not as many highs as there were. I wouldn't even necessarily say lows, but ACC tournament, a game that nobody wants to go back and look oh, at, but the, the Notre Dame lead. I, yeah, yeah. That and was that, that, that was a tough one. However, it was followed up with a high of, you know, Castle Coliseum was pretty packed for the selection show. And everybody pretty much knew that Virginia Tech was going to be in. So not yeah, there was no drama to it. it. There were some fans that worried, but Chris and I were telling them, come on. Yeah, there right. were a few fans that worried because of the history. Yeah. Um, but if you looked at the raw numbers, there was no way Virginia Tech was going to get left out. But to, but to see the reaction and to see how just, again, another stepping stone for Buzz Williams at Virginia Tech to get them to back-to-back NCAA tournaments – I mean that was a big it was a big deal. I mean it really was to have that at home and it just kind of showed too just how Virginia Tech has worked its way back to a uh, national uh, in the national picture at least for men's basketball. Yeah, and we hope they stay there. We hope they go for for a third time this year. This would be the first time in school history. It'd be three. Yep. Th- it would be three years in a row. I know everybody was thinking when it came time for March Madness that when Radford is a 16 seed, we're going to beat Villanova, and then Tech beat Alabama. It's going to be a New River Valley yeah. round of 32 matchup. But but no, going to the NCAA tournament. I mean, it was Colin Sexton, a top 10 guard, mm-hmm. and I really, really. I mean, honestly, you look back. I know it's tough. But I thought that was a great game, 86 to it 83. A, it was a great game. I mean, Tech's game the year before against Wisconsin was a great game. Yeah. Uh, I, the Wisconsin game didn't disappoint me because I thought they were better. Uh, the Alabama game disappointed me because I thought Tech was better. And uh, they certainly had more experience. And Alabama put a couple freshmen out there, including Sexton. But Virginia Tech had beaten Duke and all their freshmen before. 
You know, so I, I just I think I wish Virginia Tech could play that game over again because I don't think they played well. Well, who was that dude that made a bunch of three pointers? He was six and nine from three point range. The, the guard, yeah, who, yeah. kind of like was the, very hit or miss. He not, was a, he was a freshman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also think about March this too. It was another top ten finish for Virginia Tech wrestling at the NCAA mm-hmm. tournament. That's a big deal for another top ten finish. So if I remember correctly, that was the same weekend that Tech basketball was in the NCAA tournament. I believe and, so. And, and that's that's unfortunate because uh, Chris and I traveled to uh, Pittsburgh to go see Tech in the NCAA tournament. And um, so I didn't get to follow wrestling, but it, it, was, it was kind of fun watching. So I watched Radford play Villanova, and then I watched Tech play Alabama. And I remember watching uh, <laughs> Villanova just annihilate Radford. And I remember thinking – yeah, it's Radford, but man, Villanova just looks like a team that's gonna that's gonna win the national championship. They were awesome. Yeah, they were, they uh, were they were surgical in their dis, in their precision dismantling of teams in the NCAA. Tournament. Yeah, and if you could look back, that was in Pittsburgh, and Duke was in Pittsburgh with their two or three lottery picks. Oklahoma was in Pittsburgh with a, with Trey, a lottery pick. Trey something. Yeah, the nation. Trey Young. Yeah, Trey Young. Um, Obviously, Alabama was in Pittsburgh with their lottery pick, and Villanova had the lottery pick. So, like half of the lottery was was in Pittsburgh last year. For yeah, so if you missed that as a Virginia Tech fan, shame on you. Well, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so also with wrestling as well. Keep in mind this: Jared Haught, a senior at 197, made it to the NCAA championship final and yeah. fell to a wrestler from North Carolina State. It was a close one, but still. You know, again, it was a, a guy he had beaten, right? It was. Yeah. Mm. So, but but that was big. I, I mean that more as a positive that yeah. uh, you know, getting to the NCAA, the, the title round. They had so many wrestlers compete on an individual level at the NCAA tournament, and and they'll be back this year uh, in 2019. And then I look at like the months of March and April to you know spring sports. Once basketball was done, I think about women's lacrosse. I think about the fact that they beat legendary programs like Notre Dame and Syracuse for the first time in program history, the job that John Sung did getting them their first ever NCAA tournament appearance and winning uh, winning a game yeah. in the NCAA tournament, receiving that contract extension. I mean, women's lacrosse is now a top 25 team here in the nation. That is one of the more remarkable turnarounds you're ever going to see in sports. Weren't the Hokies something like 1-15 and in ACC play the previous four seasons? I think they had won three conference games their entire tenure in the ACC. And John Sung's known for building program. He literally built the Wofford program from scratch. Mm-hmm. And this is just what he does. I think when people – I hope when Hokie Nation realizes how many great coaches we have at Virginia Tech, John Sung is near the top in what he's been able to do. So we've probably had this discussion before on the podcast about, um, you know, what Virginia Tech program is, is most likely to win a national championship. And everybody always says wrestling or track and field because they're always um, competing at that, at that highest level. But there's a school of thought that it's, it's women's lacrosse, that if he can get the players in there at the level he's got them playing at, there just isn't as much competition nationally and more precisely – Lacrosse, and sorry, I haven't done my research to see how many teams in the Big Ten play lacrosse and how many in the SEC play lacrosse. Lacrosse, women's lacrosse, is not a sport that is run by the big money programs. It's not. JMU just won the national championship. JMU this played year. Boston, Boston College, College. Ba- national championship. Two of Virginia Tech's three ACC wins, pre John Song, were against Boston College, I believe. 
So that's I don't think Boston College has been that great of a program, although I haven't done the research. And, of and BC is one of the top, if not the best team in the ACC. And you can make the argument that the ACC in women's lacrosse is the top program. I know the Pac-12 is really strong because they've got a lot of teams out in the West. Like USC is pretty good, Colorado. Uh, but, again, for Virginia Tech, the ACC is very competitive. I mean, Syracuse is one of the legendary coaches. They knock them off at home. Uh, that w- that was really a really big stepping stone for Virginia Tech women's lacrosse. They're going to have a lot coming back this year. We'll be definitely keeping an eye on them in spring sports. And then speaking of baseball, you know, they open up the brand-new uh, ballpark, which is just state-of-the-art. John Sheff in his first season with Virginia Tech had a couple of big wins and a couple of marquee series, and he's got the recruits coming in. I mean, again, I think you look at the job that Whit Babcock has done bringing in a lot of these coaches He's got that program on the rise. So when you talk about great things that happened in Virginia Tech Athletics in 2018, one of them is that they sell beer at the baseball stadium. That is one of the truly great things to happen in Virginia Tech Athletics. So we've got baseball on the rise, and then, you know, by the time we get to the end of the school year, you know, that was that was pretty much it. We get to highest ever uh, highest ever uh, Directors' Cup finish, right? I well, believe you're right. And they win the Commonwealth uh, Clash against yeah. UVA. Keep that in mind, too. That's for the second year in a row, right? Yep. Correct. Second they won it on a tiebreaker the year before and then won it outright. Won it yes. up it was very time. close down the stretch. Um, so, again, keeping it going. And also, I'm sorry, I knew I had, I had forgotten one thing. And that's why I didn't. Virginia Tech women's basketball getting to the WNIT finals. finals. Which, unfortunately, are played on – Home uh, on the home court, yeah. Right. So, so they, Tech they had played to play Indiana, at Indiana, right? correct? Yeah. It's Indiana not a neutral turned site. Out, Indiana turned and they, out ten thousand. Yes, fans. they. But again, the job that Kenny Brooks is doing with women's we've talked about on the national signing day. Man, Virginia Tech women's basketball, men's basketball at the same time might be together the best they've ever been. And they're unbeaten right now, right? Correct. They're, 10 and they're 9 and 0. They host Mount St. Mary's 2 o'clock on Sunday. That's okay. on ACC Network Extra. So uh, I'm guessing they're probably in the others receiving votes category. Yes, the they are. 25. I believe that I saw that if you were to count past 25, they're at 29th right now. Okay. All right. And they've got a most most players coming back from last year. So you're Correct. looking at most likely outcome this year is an NCAA tournament bird. Yes, that would be the first time since which, 2006. Which will help Virginia Tech. I, I think Virginia Tech's going to do really well in the Directors' Cup this year. Uh, they made the Sweet 16 in, in men's and women's soccer. Yeah, true. Um, you know, if both basketball teams get to the NCAA tournament, that's points from that. Wrestling will be wrestling. Track will be track. Right. Um, tennis. Football is going to a bowl game. Right. They always get they get points from tennis generally, don't they? So, uh, again, you know, big stepping stones for a lot of our winter sports programs. We look at the spring, and then you win the Commonwealth Clash. We get to the offseason. We can talk briefly about football. You know, we saw a couple of promising things from the spring game in April, and one of that happened to be Ryan Willis throwing over 200 yards. We and saw his arm. We, mm-hmm. and, uh, but I, I, I want to hit on this first. You know, you guys took a big step at Tech Sideline, moving offices from Radford to here. It's been a great year for Tech Sideline, and I think this is a great kind of point before we get to the uh, latter parts of the summer into the fall just to kind of recap what TSL has been able to accomplish in 2018. It's been a monumental year. Personally, it's awesome being here. Mm-hmm. Filled my car up with gas this morning, and I think that's the first time in three and a half weeks that I filled my car up with gas. And I even take the long way to work because it's really boring because it's like less than one mile from my house to here, really. Uh, so I take the long way, which is uh, going through campus behind the stadium. Uh, but it still takes me three, three and a half weeks between <laughs> fill fill up. ups. Yeah, Yeah. so it's it's been, uh, it's been phenomenal being here in the Corporate Research Center. Um, I love the office. I love the view out the window. 
Um, it's I like them when fans stop by and visit. You know, um, uh, come by, get yourself a free T-shirt. You know, <laughs> we've got a closet full of T-shirts, um, and it's just uh, um, it's the kind of thing that I wish I'd done it years ago. And uh, it's it's gotten us closer to the Virginia Tech community. It's made going over and doing interviews easier. It's made going to press conferences easier. Uh, the students that work with us, like yourself, you know, it's been it's it's well. You don't have to drive to Radford everywhere. Yeah, we, we weren't going to ask you to come over to Radford. So that was all part of the plan was to come over here so we could have more students come in and do work, you know, and establish a, just a closer relationship with the university in general. Well, I'm personally grateful for that. Yeah. And we'll talk uh, as we keep going through this timeline. We're not done with talking about the uh, big things for Tech Sideline. Yeah. Continuing with the summer, you know, we I, I want to mention this too is because I want to make sure we're, we're giving all the love to all of our teams and looking at the the job that Olympic sports had really done in 2018. It was a big step for the softball program uh, in early June, hiring their second coach in program history. Pete DeMore from Kennesaw State uh, has done a lot with this program already. I mean, he's already brought in a pitcher from Georgia, his recruiting class, really, really strong. He hit the recruiting trails really hard in the summer because that's a crucial time for softball. And Mm -hmm. Don't, don't you do the softball podcast? I do, yeah. yeah. And I did all their games last year on ACC Network and uh, worked closely with them. And it, it, was a big, it was a big transition. You know, obviously you've had one coach for the whole time in Scott Thomas, and he Man. means so much, you know, to Virginia Tech. It's history and beating Team USA. But, you know, the transition and what Pete DeMore has been able to do in the, in the fall season, softball we're going to be talking a lot about in 2019. So that was a big step. When you look at all of uh, got some new facilities too. Yeah, so great indoor facility. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a big deal. There's a regulation size uh, infield. Right. Infield. So you've got two Indoors. batting cages. You've got a pitching room uh, or a, a area for pitchers to work, and then you've got an entire uh, infield as well. I mean, it is a really nice facility. It's where we do the podcast a lot, and uh, it's it's something that a lot of schools in the ACC don't have. It's going to be a really nice way to recruit talent. Well, facilities-wise, Virginia Tech is top two or three in women in the ACC in women's softball, right? Yeah, I, I, Florida correct. State, I think, I mean, has good facilities, and probably North Carolina, I think I heard mentioned. Georgia Tech's got nice facilities. They host the ACC championship this year. Yeah. Uh, this, you know, The offseason for football, transitioning that way, you know, we, we, we saw a lot of dismissals and things that we didn't see coming necessarily, but you look at the, um, you know, the positives that came out of it. It was that younger talent getting playing time, and, and next year those guys are going to be more prepared than they ever could have been. Yeah, I guess that's that, that's the good way to look at it. Um, I, uh, I, I, I never want to read another recruiting article again where the guy's like, oh, I want early playing time. I don't want guys to have early playing time before they're ready, man. No way. No, it's that's bad. Um, but uh, I, I think the early playing time some of these guys got, like we saw Dax Holyfield get better. I mean, that guy was a good player by the end of the year, you know, and, and he looks like he's going to basically be a four-year starter. For, he got his first start in the North Carolina game. He'll be a three-and-a-half-year starter for Virginia Tech, basically. Uh, uh, Rayshard Ashby is a true sophomore who I think is a really good player. You know, when he hits people, they go backwards. Trey Turner looks like the best wide receiver on the team already. Um, and will be even better once he puts on 10 or 15 pounds of muscle. I think he's very much like Isaiah Ford, except he's a little more dynamic, a little more athletic than Ford was. Probably a three-year guy in college, in my opinion. Um, Won't have him for four years. Uh, I could be wrong. Um, So you saw a lot of young talent make progress this year. Christian Darisaw was just named ESPN and 247 freshman All-American. 
This was a guy who, if you have a problem with, if you're one of those types that has a problem with our staff being evaluators rather than recruiters, well, Christian Darisol was ranked number 1,750 or something like that in the country coming out of high school. He was a two-star guy with no scholarship offers. Came to Virginia Tech, and he's a freshman All-American. So you you can't sit here and say, oh, you don't sign enough four- and five-star players. Well, there's a lot of four- and five-star players at Florida State, especially on the offensive line, that that aren't as good as Christian Darisaw. So we saw a lot of good freshmen develop this year. I think Caleb Farley was better in coverage at the end of the year than he was at the beginning, although, honestly, the second half of Tech's schedule was filled with horrible passing quarterbacks, so there's really no way to to tell. Um, So he saw some guys progress. Um, And I think by the end of the season, we were in a much better mood than we all were in early November, or even in in June when coaches were getting fired and – and players were getting arrested. I mean, that was just an awful offseason. I mean, personally, I'm ready to start 2019. I'm ready for 2019 to get here. Well, yeah, you know, the the spring tends to be quiet, and all the news we heard this past offseason was all bad news. That's fine. I, I mean, exactly right. I mean, I'd rather be at, have it be quiet than, than every month there's a story about, you know, a coach up to no good or a player getting – arrested and kicked off the team or whatever like that you know I'd, I'd rather just rather not hear anything at all than if you're hearing bad news talking about moving into august into september you know obviously there was so much hyped up around that opening weekend of college football there were so many great matchups that week I mean, that's one of my favorite weekends of the year is the opening one because they really give you so many great ones and 19th ranked Florida State, 20th ranked Virginia Tech, Labor Day night, ESPN. You got Fowler, you got Herb Street in Tallahassee, and 24 to three. I mean, I know it might not mean as much now looking at where Florida State was at five and seven and Tech at six and six, but mm-hmm. at the time, I mean, people were on cloud nine. That game will always be special to me. Um, I was there and I witnessed it, and we all felt good, but. And I wrote this in, in an article. We probably talked about it on the podcast. That game ended Florida State's 36-year bowl streak. If Florida State wins that game, they're six and six, and they're going bowling. And Virginia Tech is five and seven and staying home. Maybe five and seven. You know, if Tech didn't have a bowl to play for at the end, four and seven. Sorry, four and seven. Yes, people keep pointing that out to me. Um, so I, regardless of how the rest of the season went. And regardless of the fact that it was Virginia Tech beating Florida State's worst team, arguably in 35 years, that that game will always hold a special place for me because it 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 was when Virginia Tech ended Florida State's game streak, got ball streak. Yeah, if you look back, that's exactly what it was. If Florida State wins that game, it's the other way around. They're still in a bowl, so this is their worst team ever, right? Or their first, at least it's 1982. Yes, yeah, yeah. it's 1982. Uh, and do they have a losing record in '82, or was it? Uh, or, were, or did they go seven and five? But there weren't that many bowls back. Pretty then. sure it was a losing record. Okay. okay. Um, it, but, but let me. Something I forgot. The detail I forgot to add in was um, during during Florida State's bowl run. Uh, after they were really good and they, they started to fall off after after the early two thousands, they went six and six three times, and Virginia Tech didn't play Florida State in any of those seasons. But this year, when they had a similar a similar team, Tech did play them and knocked them out. Knocked them off. So yeah. who who would have thought going back to that game? Fast forward a couple months later, that's playing for bowl eligibility. Yeah. I mean, who would have thought <laughs> you, that? You never know how seasons are going to go, man. Uh, what made that game really interesting to me, 
I, th- I think the unknown factor in, in sports uh, really is is what leads to a lot of intrigue and makes things interesting. Like, we had so many new players in that game. Florida State had a new coach. Uh, brand new system. Brand new system. I mean, nobody knew what was going to happen in that Lethal game, really. Lethal simplicity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was so, simplicity is it's 50% right, and it's certainly not lethal. Well, at least not, not yet. Year, it's not. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think the unknown factor was what made that game interesting because there were just so many new faces on the field for Virginia Tech. The Florida State coaching staff was new, and, and you kind of like to go into a game with a lump in your throat to a certain extent. At least every now and then you do. Uh, and I, I'm not saying I don't enjoy beating North Carolina 59 to seven because I enjoyed that very much. I like, not, to, not the Boise like to do State that field. every year. Right. I hated the Boise State feeling too, but. The feeling going into the Florida State game this year or the West Virginia game the year before is you're playing somebody that you really, really, really don't like, but you might lose. You don't want to lose, and it feels awful if you do, but the exhilaration of when you win is incredible. And to think a little bit about afterwards and the whole uh, Willie Taggart taking a shot at Virginia Tech and the intentional faking injuries, faking injuries yeah. and that was the lead story on part of the interruption. I mean – that had a lot of fun, and I, I know we're running short on time, so I kind of want to go rapid fire with this. But to kind of think about to wrap to wrap up the Olympic sports real quick before we get to a couple other things, you mentioned it. I want to make sure we touch on it. Men's and women's soccer both mm-hmm. making the NCAA tournament. Men's getting the Sweet Sixteen. That was a really big deal. Hosting a lot of matches at Thompson Field. Women's going to Texas, ranked, and they hadn't lost at home all season, knocking off the Longhorns on the Longhorn Network. That was a big win for women's soccer, and I wanted to make sure that we highlighted those two teams. And lastly, volleyball. Another big step forward for Jill Wilson in her second season uh, with the, uh, with Virginia Tech uh, volleyball. She's got a great recruiting class coming in, and uh, definitely making a point next year to get out to those. Go ahead. Wrapping Sorry. up with football, though. Um, you know, people for the last three years have had Notre Dame circled on their schedule uh, that they were coming to Blacksburg. What a great environment that was. You know, you're painting the entire Lane Stadium maroon and orange. And despite the loss, that first half for me, and I know personally with my dad, who's a lifelong Virginia Tech fan and went here and played soccer here, I mean, to watch Virginia Tech compete with Notre Dame in the first half, that was an exhilarating first half. I mean, a lot of fun. And there's nothing better than being at a game and having hope because there was a lot of hope going into halftime. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and then we can leave it. Again, I'm trying to keep it as positive. But, again, it's not every day that Notre Dame comes to play. Well, it was a historic moment. It really it was. was. And, and it would have been nice to appreciate it with a win, you know. But, yeah, it, it was Notre Dame coming to Lane Stadium, something that a lot of people never thought would happen. I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, I thought their fans were really nice. Yeah, I did too. Yeah. I, and, uh, I, and I'm going up next year to South Bend. I, mean, I think it will be a great trip. My gosh, I went up there in 2016. Boy, was that cold. <laughs> By the way, I am skipping the ODU game because we do not have to touch on that unless you guys want to. Uh, but, uh, no. uh, so can I insert a rant yes. here about how Virginia Tech went to went to Notre Dame in 2016, played Notre Dame at home in 2018, and will travel to Notre Dame in 2019, and insert a rant about not playing Clemson and Florida State very often in there. You know, they, they, Notre Dame's not even in the ACC, and Tech plays them more than they do teams in the ACC. And Louisville. And Louisville. Boy, I wish we played Louisville this year. How about Wake Forest? <laughs> Last time we played them was the infamous 0-0 going into overtime. And, game. and I mean, that's a very close team. Yeah. yeah that's, that's just two and a half hours away. Tech, so. Tech won't even play Louisville to win. 
I know we won't get them at 2022 home. 2022 or something like something that? Something like that. And I, and I know the ACC schedules, they're, they're, they're set through 2025. And, and Louisville's only on it once. I think it's No, they're road. not on it at all, well, right? Or they're, that's like a road game in 2022 or something. R- right, right. So there's no set home game right now. Yeah. Interesting. Well, what's the point? I, mean, I, just, <laughs> I hate big conferences. I hate <laughs> well, them. The scheduling model needs the, to be better. The, the scheduling, well, I mean, it needs to be better. But even then, I mean, I feel like, to me, it's – it's not legit unless you're playing everybody in your conference. And if your conference is too big to play everybody, well, then your conference is too big, and it needs to split up and be two different conferences. I, but that's just my round. Even in men's basketball, you don't play everybody in the conference. So I agree. You, you don't a, play everybody don't twice. Play twice. This is a great – thank you. It's a great conversation point for 2000 and, uh, or the next podcast. Um, I think when we look back on this football season, in 10 years from now, I think we will look back on it in a – positive note in this sense not right now maybe not in a couple years but 10 years from now when we're telling stories about how virginia tech had their backs against the wall everything that coach beamer and so many players going back to the early 90s had built everything's on the line the bull streak the uva streak they're four and six they're on a four game losing streak i mean everything is just not going virginia tech's way they're playing young players they're hurt they're banged up UVA coming in, and I think the thing that makes it just as more sweet is the fact that it was UVA's best team in the last eight yeah. or ten years. Yeah, it was. It was a good UVA. I would. I don't think it's their best personally, okay. because I think the ACC is bad this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think their 2011 team was better. Uh, That's right. Uh, but but it was a relatively speaking a good UVA team. So they come in, and Virginia Tech pulls it off in overtime. We know the story. I'm not going to go in and recap it. But then to get the game against Marshall afterwards and get to bowl eligibility, I mean, we could have been talking about, we could be talking on this podcast about a Virginia Tech offseason that would just be so different than mm. it would be right now with Virginia Tech going to go. I mean, think about it. If Virginia Tech is 4-7, and seven, what are we talking about right now Ugh. on this podcast? Ugh. What are the message boards looking like? I think 10 years from now, we're going to look back on that win against UVA as one of the sweetest in the last decade. Oh, no doubt. Just the way it went down and, and how, you know, their, their cornerback, Bryce Hall, was named to some All-American team this past week. And, you know, he couldn't stop Dalton Keene. Couldn't stop Trey Turner. He couldn't, couldn't stop, stop Trey Dalton Turner. Keene. You know, a true sophomore and a true freshman. And he couldn't stop him because they have a Virginia Tech on their helmet, apparently. <laughs> uh, so that's always going to be uh, fun to look back on. What I'll look back on 10 years from now about this season is, you know, being 4-6 and six and having their back against the wall. I don't know if you've ever walked through the tunnel into Lane Stadium before, but it's got the Hokie Stone up there, and it says, for those who have passed and for those yet to come, reach for excellence. And it kind of struck me this year is that's true, man. Those those players, when they were playing for the ball streak this year, it wasn't just about them. It was about J.C. Price, even though he was on the other sideline. It was about Tyrod Taylor and David Wilson and Jarrett Boykin and all those past players who built the streak. It didn't mean just it meant just as much to those past players as it did to the current. I mean, players. players old. I mean, that were alive before they were even born. Right. That's a long time, yeah. man. I, I, don't, I think we say numbers, and that's why when we did the podcast of after that, we I was trying to think of ways to put it into perspective. I mean, twenty six years is a uh, long time. That's a quarter of a century. Yeah, I mean, you think about like Maurice DeShazo was the starting quarterback when uh, the ball streak started, and Ryan Willis is the quarterback now, and he wasn't even. 
alive when the ball streak began when Maurice DeShazo was the quarterback when it started. The internet didn't exist. The internet didn't exist. To the public. To the public. I I believe that there are a couple players that were born in 2000 on this team. I mean, just to put that into perspective and how special it is for this program to be the nation. I mean, not Alabama, not Florida, not Ohio State, not Michigan, not Clemson. But Virginia Tech, with the nation's longest bowl streak, how incredible! And you get you get some naysayers say, "Yeah, there's so many bowls, so it's not all that imp- not, all, not all that impressive." Well, it's not all that impressive. Then why hadn't anybody else done it? Why is Alabama not number one? I said to somebody on Twitter just last night or this morning, I said, "Yeah, but Florida State had the same opportunity to make one of those 39 bowls, right. and they failed." And why why did Florida have a losing record last year? You, you know, I mean, Florida, they can get. They can recruit just about anybody they want as long as they're not recruiting against Alabama. Yeah. And you've uh, said it before on this podcast, CC, the fact that Virginia Tech in their down year can still go 6-6 six and six and make a bowl, that says something about this program. Yep. So, and, and so I think if, if 12 years from now they're playing or 11 years from now they're playing in a, their 37th straight bowl and it's the longest streak of all time, not just the longest active streak, yeah, you're going to sit there and you're going to talk about 93 when they first went – and you're going to talk about that stretch of games in the 2010s where they barely made it, and mm-hmm. this season's going to be one of them. So, anyways, I, I, I think that that's kind of a great way to kind of end the year in 2018 for the athletic side. But I do want to make sure we talk about another monumental moment for Tech Sideline this year, something that as a comm student I cannot express on behalf of, of kind of like you said, for the, for the people that are currently in the program, for those to come. <laughs> and, we're, you know, we're trying to reach for excellence in that program as well. Um, for you guys to endow a scholarship like you guys have. Yeah, so we, so we made a decision to endow a scholarship over in the comm department, and it was all part of just, – we just did a whole bunch of things last summer, you know, moving over here and deciding to utilize student talent more. It, it would be fair to say at all, you know, because we really hadn't done that before. And um, one thing led to another, you know, and talking to Bill Roth, I just decided, hey, you know what, let's – instead of always being this trying to sell subscriptions and make money let's do something for the university and uh um pitched the idea to bill and of course he loved it so yeah we're endowing a hundred thousand dollar scholarship uh, so if you if you missed that last summer um tech sideline is in a five-year stretch of donating a total of a hundred thousand dollars to the comm department that can then be used for a, a scholarship in uh sports uh, uh Multimedia journalism and sports well, analytics. Sports media and analytics. Sports media and analytics. That's Bill's department. Um, so it's and and oh by the way, fans out there can contribute to it. Um, we publicized it back in uh, when it became public back in August, but we really haven't said anything about it since then. So keep an eye on the site. We're going to put up a page about it on the site. We'll put up links in the border. Because uh, we're, you know, when you do $100,000 over five years, it's about 1700 bucks a month. It's 1667 a month. So we're going to put a progress tracker on the site, and we're also going to track what fans are also pitching in additional money to this. Because that's also a thing that's going on. When I, when I talked to our uh, foundation guy, Dan Cleveland, um, out of the original publicity rush, I think somebody else donated 1500 bucks. He had talked to a company that donated another thousand. So it's not just our hundred thousand that's going in; it's money from other people and companies as well. And we'll do a better job of, of making that information a permanent fixture on the site. So it, that was just—I feel like 
it transformed our business into one not just of being interested in profit, but being interested in benefiting the university as a whole and establishing relationships that, that are important beyond just are we doing our work and making money and supporting our families. I think about Virginia Tech and who pros them that I may serve. Right. It's exactly what Tech Sideline is, is I, doing. I, and I, I said at the time that it bothered me that I was so busy with all the things that I had to do that I could not live out that motto. So it's a way for us, we, me, Chris, the whole entire Tech Sideline community, to live out that motto, to really put it into action. Well, to you guys and to the people who have donated to it and everybody, you know, on behalf, speaking on behalf of, you know, my friends and colleagues in that department, I just can't express how grateful we are and thankful and, you know, the people like Bill Roth and the Andrew Allegretos who are doing their part to build it on the inside too and Robert Denton, the department chair. I mean, it's really something special going on here at Tech. So, well, the only way we can close 2018 is hopefully with a bold win over Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. On New Year's Eve at noon. I know we're way over time. So if you guys just want to give a quick uh, quick prediction and a score, and uh, we'll wrap it up. Uh, you know, I don't haven't had very much time to do the research because I'm preview's not going to get written until, ne- until next week, I guess. But they have some things that concern me. Well, first, let, let, let me point this out. They remind me to a Marshall of Marshall to a certain extent, not, not only because, you know, they're in a smaller league, but – Besides UCF, their opponents had a 50 and 71 record this year. That's not counting the FCS team they played and UCF. So they didn't they didn't really uh, play anybody decent this year. But on the other on the other hand of that, they're better than Marshall because they have more experience at quarterback. They have a true dual threat guy: 2,300 passing yards, 19 touchdowns, five interceptions, 574 rushing yards. They have a running back who rushed for over 1,100 yards. So I think they're more com- much more complete offensively than Marshall was because they have who had a freshman quarterback. Uh, they have a defensive tackle, 17 and a half tackles for loss, six mm. and a half sacks. Uh, his name is Cortez. That's Broughton. a tremendous amount of tackles for loss. Yeah, it for really a defensive is. Tackle. It really is. Uh, wish we had him. They also have another defensive lineman that played at Jam Dur- River High School with the Edmonds brothers, and this guy's uh, all-conference selection type player. So uh, I think they're like Marshall, except they're a lot better. Uh, the last time Tech and Cincinnati played in this game, Cincinnati was nine nine and three, and Virginia Tech was six and six. And I picked Cincinnati to win. Did you? Just based off that, the difference in records, and Virginia Tech handled them fairly easily. I don't know. Uh, it's just. Their dual, their dual threat quarterback concerns me. I, I don't, Virginia Tech hasn't really faced a dual threat quarterback. He's not Gunner since Keel. the UVA game, right? He's not Gunner Keel for sure. Um, I, I will go. I don't know. I'll go. I'll go Virginia Tech very, very close. Very, very, very close. It could go either way. Uh, you know, this is. Uh is this the third time they played Cincinnati in a bowl game? The other one was the Orange Bowl. Fourth, if you count the Sun Bowl in like 1946. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Modern day Cincinnati. Okay. Um, you know, that, that 2008 Orange Bowl, Cincinnati, Brian Kelly was our coach back then, right? Yes, he was. That was a good football team. And they were a 10 10. I picked Cincinnati in that game also. Yeah. So Wow. Yeah. So this is their, their third shot at Tech in a bowl game. And the last two times, they've looked like a good team. Uh, you know, Tech. Uh, Tech was eight and four, eight an eight win team. No, we had nine wins. We were eight and four in the regular season in two thousand. Won the ACC championship. championship game to get to nine wins, and then then won the bowl game. Yeah, but, but that was a that was the worst of the ten wins. Yeah, that Tech was not teams. a good football team. Yeah, defense yeah. is pretty good, but um, 
I'm just not going to go against the grain here. I'm going to pick it to happen again. I'll just pick a score out of the air of 31-27. That sounds right. And, well, yeah. another point to be made is that uh, Justin Fuente and his staff, they do an excellent job of preparing for bowl games. Oh, yeah. They're, they're you know – their their game plan against Oklahoma State was a successful game plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they controlled Just the time of possession. Didn't they... quite get executed. There were I remember I remember Josh Jackson missing a wide open receiver. You just and Tech fumbling on the mm-hmm. yeah mm, on the one yard line. You know, or it was a, it was a botched uh, botched exchange, exchange between quarterback between, and, yeah, and running back. So uh, you know Tech this staff does a really good job prepping for bowl games so that's what i'm going with 31 27 and when they have extra time in general like the first game of the season the last two years yeah, west virginia florida state i mean they spent all that time preparing for tennessee the year before that and we were really way better than tennessee we just kept fumbling it away but the game yeah. there's nothing wrong with the game plan yeah uh so i think yeah if you give them extra time i think they're they're really really good and you'll see two or three trick plays in there he's special teams offense you know they're, they're really chase good Moomaw, that. that fake oh points. yeah, yeah. hanover yeah. county guy right there chase is in the uh multimedia journalism he is he's, he's actually doing a podcast himself so yeah. uh what's his podcast called do you know I, i'm not 100 percent sure uh but i've seen him on twitter again he went to lee davis i went to ph sam rogers went to hanover you throw Atlee in there where Tyler Warren's committed uh, to Virginia Tech. That's the four Hanover County schools. So, so what's his what's his uh, passer rating? Oh, uh, oh Chase Mumble. Yeah. I think he's a, a hundred percent. I mean, he hasn't. Well, that's his completion percentage. But what's his passer rating? Oh, his passer. Oh man, that's uh, a good question. Well, I have to look. I that think up. it's caps at like two twenty something. Right? Two twenty seven <laughs> is. I'm guessing it can't be perfect get. unless the one completion's a touchdown. Maybe I don't, that's I don't true. know. Listen, that's in true. high school, Chase Mumble was a really good quarterback. His touchdown so. ratio is zero percent. I'll end it on this. I think Virginia Tech didn't have. Like we talked about the all season coming in this year. They didn't have a ton of momentum because they were losing some key guys. I think Virginia Tech's going to have momentum going in the offseason. I think they're going to end the season on a three-game win streak. I'm going 28-24 Tech over Cincinnati. All right. And the first bowl game I ever go to, I think Tech is going to uh, to pull it out. And so with that, that is going to do it for this podcast, uh, the Tech Sideline Podcast. Not 100% sure if you guys will do one here to end uh, December or if you guys will do one in January, but I'll be ready. I'll be listening. I'll be editing. And uh, – I just want to say on behalf of, I know you guys in Tech Sideline, wishing everybody a happy holidays, a happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, and uh, I hope everyone safe travels to Annapolis, and uh, looking forward to a great 2019 here at Tech Sideline. It's going to be a better 2019. I will almost guarantee that it's going to be as, as far as football goes. Well, that's going to do it. For Will, for Chris, I'm Evan. Happy holidays, and I will talk to you next in 2019. Have a good one, Hokies.